Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Loyalty to Rangers is what binds us. And together, we are stronger. Launching for the 2021 season, the MyJers membership program is a new way to get even closer to the club you love. It's the one place where you can access benefits like ticketing priority, club discounts, and exclusive competitions and experiences. There's even a limited edition welcome gift when you join. Visit rangers.co.uk slash myjers to join today. Always Rangers. Always loyal. Always rewarded. Jones delivers. Just brace yourself. Rangers, 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 easy, okay. Okay. Well, Rangers, Rangers, easy, okay. Okay. Rangers, Rangers, easy, okay. Okay. Rangers, Rangers, easy, okay. Okay. Rangers, Rangers, easy, okay. Rangers, Rangers, easy, okay. 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 My name's Scott Gray and today we're joined by a man who played over 160 games for Rangers over two spells, scoring 39 goals. He played for Rangers in the late 70s and again in the early 80s. His name is Gordon Smith. Gordon, good afternoon and welcome to the show. Good afternoon. How are we? How's lockdown? Well, I suppose it's kind of eased slightly, but... I think it's, uh, it's been tough going. It's, as you say, it's beginning to ease up a bit now. Hopefully, uh, we'll maybe even get back playing football in Scotland soon because England are are going to be starting pretty soon and other countries have already started. So uh, we're a little bit delayed. I think it's because of the financial situation as well because one of the things that uh, Scotland has a problem with is obviously that most of the, the revenue comes in from crowds at games yeah. rather than from, uh, rather than from the, the TV. So that's why from that point of view, it's, uh, it's tougher in terms of the actual, you know, the, 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 the money that's coming in. They don't want to... Have, empty stadiums and all that sort of thing because they just lose money having to set the games up. Yeah, yeah. Um, we'll start kind of 
going back to your time at Kilmarnock a wee bit and then just prior to your move to Rangers, um, you started your career at Kilmarnock. What, what was your upbringing like back then coming through youth clubs at, the cl- at a club like that? Um, it was What was good about Kilmarnock was the, the main thing for me was the fact that even as a, a 14-year-old, I was in training with the first team players during the holidays. Every time it was a holiday, I was in training, even though I was just a schoolboy for him. I had uh-huh. the chance to sign for Rangers, Celtic and Kilmarnock when I was 14. And my dad said, you're going to Kilmarnock. And I said, because you're a fan. And he said, no, you've got more of a chance there. And if it works out, the teams will come back in for you. So that was why I, I signed for Kilmarnock. But as I say, I was very fortunate in that respect that my pal, my best pal, David Patterson, signed for Rangers. He had the chance of Kilmarnock and Rangers. He took Rangers. And he was going to train with kids uh, like on a Thursday night, never near anywhere near the, the players, the, the team players. Whereas I was in training with the first team players on a full-time basis every time, every school holiday. So I was very fortunate in that occasion. I was living in Stevenston, which was about uh, you know 12 miles away from Kilmarnock, so I could go on the bus. And then later on, when it was the training, some of the players, uh, the professional players, were even living in Stevenston. So they were able to take me into the training on a daily basis. So that helped me a lot. As I say, I never, I never even get kept back from anything in terms of the actual training sessions or the matches. I was involved in everything from 14 years of age. Yeah, your grandfather played professionally in Captain Kilmarnock as well. Did you feel there was pressure on you given his status at the club and obviously the fact that your dad was a fan, as you said? Not not really that much because, uh, as I say, I never ever met my grandfather. That was a disappointing aspect because he died before I was born. But he won two cups with Kilmarnock and uh, was captain the second time they won it. But I think that uh, the main thing for me as a little boy, I had maybe it was because my grandfather being a player, Scott, that I had this determination to be a professional player. That was yeah. all, always my ambition, only ambition I had as a kid growing up. And what happened was, even from a little boy, I used to practice a lot. I, re- I used to put in a lot of time in my own, practicing, hitting the ball against a wall, controlling it, turning with the ball. And I was very lucky, and it turned out to be a, a very fortunate incident for me. I went to a match at, at Rugby Park once, Kilmarnock against Rangers, when I was maybe only about seven or eight years old. And I saw the man that uh, changed my career in that aspect was Jim Baxter. Yeah. And what happened was, because I, I wanted to be Jim Baxter, I started using my left foot all the time. And uh, start, and I was right-footed naturally, but I started playing the ball on my left more often. And then eventually when I went to play for a Lifeboy team, the manager said to me, he said, you're a good wee player, son, but you're too one-footed. You yeah. have to start using your other foot. And he, I think he was quite surprised at how quickly I was able to use my <laughs> other foot. But, but the thing was, see, because of that, Scott, see, because I was doing it at an early age, yeah. it was incredible that I became a, a two-footed player. If you watch any footage of me playing, I've never had a problem either on either foot. And when I was at Comana, when Willie Fernie came in, my first season there, I played midfield. And then Willie Fernie came in and as a manager and he put me on the left wing. And after about four or five games, I went to see him and I said, look, you know what, you're putting me on the left wing. I don't want to play there. He says, the reason I'm putting you there, son, he says, I need a left-footed player out in the wing. And I yeah. said, I'm no left-footed. And he went, are you? So... <laughs> Back now, I look back now as a compliment, and I'm having, a, you know, what I mean, I'm having an argument with a manager who's telling me I'm left footed, and I'm saying I'm not, you know. But that was so I ended up playing left winger for Kilmarnock and and, and all the period until I went to Rangers. That's amazing. You think that it was just Jim Baxter that that kind of inspired that? Incredible. It was just you know, it was. I thought he was brilliant. He was a great player. Got to know him later on in in my, in my life as well. After I went to Rangers. Because I was working, uh, when I signed for Rangers, I was actually working in Admiral Street in Jim Baxter's pub. was uh, <laughs> about uh, 40 yards from where I was working. So uh, I got to know. 
Fab, fab. You know, sold to Rangers in 1977 for £65,000. When did you first hear the Rangers' interest, you, in, interest in you and how did, how did that come about? Well, it was an amazing uh, story because what happened was Derek Johnson had said to me a few times on, on trips with Scotland under 23s, he said, hey, Jock Wallace, as I admire yours, he's, he's always saying when we play you, you know, Mark Smith, he's a good player. That's what he said. And I always wondered why nothing ever happened because but there was a lot of talk about teams infamy, nothing happened. So what happened was uh, I got a phone call from the commandant manager and he, he said to me, uh, where are you? And I said, well, I'm in my office because I was working at the time. I, I was part-time. Yeah. And he said, right. He said, uh, he said, uh, are you in Glasgow? I went, yeah. He goes, you far for Ibrox? I said, no, why? He said, just sold you to Rangers. We'll see you there in half an hour, right? So I went, okay. So that was me. So I went a long time, Brooks. And unbelievably, I signed the contract. I couldn't even have told you, Scott, how much money I was getting. And I was just delighted to sign. It was a great move for me. I wanted to play for Rangers. And Jock Wallace shook my hand and welcomed me at the club. And he said, great to see you. He says, that's taken a while. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, I've been trying to buy you for the last four years. Did you not know? And I said, no. That's true. And he said, I've been in I've been in for you twice a year for the last four years. And come on, I've just knocked me back and they finally accepted it. And I and I went, That's unbelievable. I said, Well, can I say something? I says, You know, you've signed David Cooper. I says, I'm a left winger and David Cooper. That's why when I, when you signed David Cooper, I thought that was it. And he goes, No, no. He says, The first time I saw you, you were playing middle of midfield. He said, and that's when I've been trying to sign you since then. He said, although you've been playing the wing, I want you in the midfield. And then they said a, an amazing statement, he went. He says, you're the last piece of the jigsaw, he said to me. And I was like, right. I didn't know what that meant, really, you know. But what he was more or less saying was, we're going to play a system, and this is where I want you to play, and you're going to play middle of midfield. And that's how it came about. Fantastic. Uh, what was it like going for the command dressing room, into the Rangers dressing room, obviously? Because at that time, yeah, I mean, a, a few years before, we obviously won the European Cup Winners' Cup, and a lot of that squad was still kind of around playing. What was that like for you as kind of coming, coming for a club like Kilmarnock to Rangers and like superstars like that, basically? Well, you had to stand up for yourself, Scott, because it was a very hard uh, shift. The, the players, uh, the older players could get, would give you a bit of stick yeah. and they just to see what you were like. It was just a kind of... It, it was. I actually, the honest truth, I had to take David Cooper aside uh, after a few weeks I was there. He'd been there before me, just signed at the same time. And I had to say to him, look, you've got, it's just banter. You have to hit back. You know, because Davey was going to be a bit upset with some of the things people were saying to him, you know, about, about his form and all that. I'd been used to it because I'd been in a, a professional dressing room since 14 years of age and with full-time players. I knew what the banter was like. I knew the stick that you could get and all that sort of thing. But I was just, it was great to be there because I'll tell you what happened. It was just the fact that there was so much ability in the dressing room as well. You admired it. You knew these players had a success rate and these players had won things. Yeah. And that's what made it a lot more comfortable. The three new players were Bobby Russell, David Cooper and myself. But it was great with the fact we managed to fit into that team because of the experience that was around about us. Yeah. The manager you touched upon that signed you was, was Jock Wallace. What was Jock like to play under? Because obviously, I never get the chance obviously, to see Jock as, as Rangers manager, but some of the videos, the interviews, the, I mean, the podcast called the Battle Fever podcast, the, just the way he went about things, how he just believed in, in Rangers as a club, I think really is kind of goes in line, I think, with the fan base, you know, and I think that's probably why yeah. Jock was so popular with, with your fans. Yeah, I didn't I didn't know what he was going to be like. I mean, all I had was a kind of reputation about him that I was a little bit scared of thinking, oh, what's he going to be like, you know? But yeah. it was summed, summed up for me in terms of the, the first old firm game I played. I'd been there about two or three weeks and we played Celtic. 
at Ibrox, right? And at half time, it was 2 0 to Celtic. Yeah. And we came in, and I thought, I've always been used to getting a, a row when, depending on the scoreline at half time, you, get, you either get praised or get a row. And he went, sit down. And I thought, oh, we're going to get slaughtered here. And he was most positive half time team talk I'd ever heard when a team was losing. Yeah. He said, that he went, he said, you're the better team, you're fitter than them, they've scored two lucky goals. Can't believe you're losing this game. See if you play that way, same way in the second half, you're going to win this game. It was unbelievable, really positive team talk. And we went out in the second half and we won 3 2. Yeah, as just actually, obviously, your first season, hugely successful. You won the, the domestic treble, the second treble in three years. Some of the older generation that I've spoke to told me that the three signings of yourself, David Cooper and, and Bobby Russell, kind of breathed new life into that team that was maybe aging and maybe had been together a wee bit too long, given their, their status at the club and obviously their legendary status. You must have, did, did you settle straight away? Did you kind of feel part of that straight away or, or did it take time? Right away, I mean, it, it was comfortable for me because everything worked out, as I say. It was an interesting thing. What happened was I, I signed, the Rangers lost the first league game that season to Aberdeen. Yeah. I signed on the Monday, and uh, then on the Wednesday, they played Young Boys of Bern. Now, I always remember sitting, watching the game, and after 20 minutes, I said to the guys sitting, I'm sitting beside on the bench, I said, who's the number eight for us? He, he's really good. And they went, oh, that's Bobby Russell. I said, he's an excellent player. And they said, yeah, we got him for Shettleson Juniors. I couldn't believe it. I'm like, oh, you're kidding me on. That boy was playing for Shettleson Juniors and he was controlling a, he's controlling a European game at this stage, right? So that worked out. Now, what happened, Jock, when I signed, Jock Wallace said to me, I know you're part-time. I'm going to wait until you're fit and then bring you in when you've got the fitness of the rest of the players. So the second, we played again on the Saturday and we got beat again from Hibs in the league. So they'd lost the first two league games. I was on the bench again. And on the Tuesday, we had a running session. And this is true, Scott. After the, after the runs, the, the end of it, we got into groups. And we came in the dressing room. And Davy Cooper said, started saying, by the way, don't get in his group, pointing to me. He says, he's some runner, by the way. He's, you don't want to be in his group for running. And the boys started telling, oh, no, I, is he good enough against so-and-so-and-so? And, so and, so and I'm in the shower. And they came in and they went, you have to get, come out and get your clothes back on. We've got a race. That's what do you mean? He said, you have to race big Peter McCloy out in the park. And I was like, you're kidding me on. So I took my gear back on. We went on out to Ibrox and went around the other side. So it was going to be a half lap race, me against Peter McCloy. And I didn't realise at the time, right, that David Cooper had about a week's wages on me to win that race. Because he'd been arguing about it, I would win it. So me and Big Peter went across. And uh, I, I used to travel with Peter. We were good pals. And I think I won the psychological battle because he said to me, right, we'll, have a, we'll toss up to see who's going to be on the inside and who will be on the outside of the track. And I went, oh, you can have the inside, Peter. And he went, what do you mean? I said, I'm comfortable to run the outside. So I think psychologically, I had him there. We had the race. I had the race. I won. And uh, Coop was hugging me. I didn't realise it would take much money. He was hugging me as if I was his boyfriend, like, honestly. <laughs> he, but he, he must have made a few bob on me. Now, what happened that day, I'm leaving Ibrox, and Jock Wallace shouted me, he shouted, hey, Smithy, I want to see you. And he took me upstairs and I thought, what, what's this about? And he said, I was looking at the window. He says, I saw that race. How come you never told me you could run like that when uh, I signed you? <laughs> I said, well, I didn't, you didn't ask me. He said, you, you're playing on Saturday. That's what he said. You're playing on Saturday. So he put me in the team. The, that was my, I made my debut against Patrick Thistle on the Saturday. Yeah. You, you, you mentioned your, the first old firm game. Obviously, we were two down at half time. Come back and win three two. What was it like playing in your first old firm game? Obviously, you played against Celtic before, but playing against Celtic as a Rangers player, it was amazing. I, I had uh, I had actually never been 
at a Rangers Celtic game because, you know, I was a professional from 16 and my parents wouldn't let me go where before that. So I'd never been at one. So that was the first one. And then to play in that game and actually, you know, as I said, you know, with 2-0 down at half time and I came on and uh, I scored, uh, you know, the first goal to yeah. make it 2-1. Then I scored the winner to make it 3-2. So yeah. to, to get two goals, including a winning goal, my first Old Firm game was a fantastic experience. But to play in that game, Scott, it was amazing. I... I I'd always wanted to play in an Old Firm game and, and that was like my dream to play in it. So what I started was to have a winning Old Firm debut. <laughs> and of course you weren't finished scoring against Celtic then because you scored in the League Cup final as well against them to win as, yeah. to win as the Cup. How, how did that feel for yourself? Obviously just joining the club, you scored the winner to that, win the Cup. That was fantastic because it was also my first Cup final I'd ever played in. So, you know, to, to get a game against Celtic, I made the first goal for Coop. Coop scored the first goal that day. Yeah. And then I got the winner with about two minutes to go. It was a great feeling. It really was. I mean, uh, I mean, Jock Wallace hugged me that day. And he, it was almost like an injury I had to my neck after that. <laughs> week hug because he was like delighted with it. So it was a great, um, that was a, a great uh, match to play in because it gave us, my, my own aspect of it was I just wanted to play for Rangers and I wasn't thinking about tournaments and such like that. I wasn't thinking my ambitions to win cups, but once you get that kind of feeling and you start to win a cup, then it becomes totally different. And once you've won a cup, it's a great feeling. So I loved it and it was a, it was a great experience to, to just to, to, to score the winning goal was was important, but that, that didn't mean as much as it was to me just to have won the cup. Yeah, I've said before on this this podcast, and especially now going into next season, a lot of people are saying obviously the league title next year is hugely important to us, given the fact that we'll stop them um, getting ten, obviously. But I yeah. think the same as yourself, we we need to get that league cup first. We need to get that first win, that first trophy yes. under our belt under Stephen Gerrard, and then hopefully that will kind of push us over towards I the league so. championship. Totally, I, I think that's why. I'll be honest with you, that, I think that that could have made a huge difference if Rangers had got the win in the league cup yeah. this season which they should have, it would have made a huge difference because then they had a great performance in the league to beat Celtic after that. But if they already had the trophy under their belt, it would yeah. have given them a totally different feeling, a different confidence level. I think then they were chasing it. And, and the one problem I think Rangers have is, and it's something that I've always made a point of, is character. That yeah. Jock, Because Jock Walls used to say that it's not just about ability playing for Rangers. It's about character. It's about being able to handle the pressure that comes with it. And yeah. that is, a, I think that was a bit, a bit of a problem for the current group of players not them all but some of them couldn't handle the fact that having lost a cup like that when they should have won it then all of a sudden being made favourites for the league after the new year a lot of them couldn't handle the pressure yeah we clinched the league title that season uh, winning our four final fixtures a uh, complete part two of the treble a title winner in your first season at the club did you get to enjoy it at the time or is it just a relief that it's been achieved I think I, I didn't even Take into account, it was only years later you begin to see that treble's fantastic. It was just yeah. winning each trophy as they come along, sort of thing. And I think it was maybe because Rangers had won a treble two years before. Yeah. Although most people did agree that our, our team was better, our performances were better in our treble winning season uh, because it was Aberdeen were the biggest challenge that season. We beat yeah. Celtic in the Cup, but we beat Aberdeen in the League Cup and then beat Aberdeen in the Cup final. And they were also the team that we had, they, I think we had to win. I think you said the last four games there, but I think we had to win about last uh, nine games in a row or something like that to win the league that year because Aberdeen were on a great run. Yeah, yeah. You also beat Aberdeen Scottish Cup finals, you've mentioned as well, to secure the treble. Was that first season just totally beyond your, your wildest dreams or whatever you could uh, hope to achieve in the first season at a club like Rangers? Oh, definitely. It was just, it made it a dream, you know, because I worked out, 
I was enjoying it so much playing for Rangers that that even to win trophies was, was secondary to it because I just was loving playing every week yeah. for the club and playing in front of big crowds, playing old firm games, winning old firm games. But then all of a sudden to turn it around and get the treble, which was amazing because we, we won the, the league was just won the week before the cup final. So it wasn't as if we'd much time to wait on it, but we were in the final and we knew then if we could win that, it was about winning the cup. The funny thing was, but you mentioned it earlier on, Scott, my grandfather had won the cup twice and I, I get more of a thrill actually winning the Scottish Cup than I got winning the league the week before because I was emulating what my grandpa had done. But so look at it later on. Now I look back now and I think that winning the league was the major thing. But at that time, it was the Scottish Cup I wanted to win. Yeah, yeah. Jock Wallace became and still is the only manager to win a domestic treble twice for Rangers, yet chose to resign not long after the final. How did the squad react to this and were you made aware of it beforehand, before it happened? No, we weren't. And it was, it was in the summer by this time and what happened was my mum, uh, I was still at home, I lived, living with still my parents that time before I was married. And what happened was my my actual, my mother came upstairs one morning and said to me, just listen to the radio there, uh, Jock Wallace has resigned. I couldn't believe it. It was like, for me, it was like a death in the family, to be honest with you. It was the worst information I'd ever got because I thought, I love playing from, it was, he signed me, I'd had a great season and I couldn't believe that he was now leaving because I, I didn't know who was going to take over. But I was totally gutted by it, I must be honest. Yeah, he played 52 out of the 53 games Rangers had domestically that season and he scored 27 goals for midfield. A debut season to score 27 goals for midfield at any club is tremendous, never mind the size of Rangers. Only Derek Johnson stopped you becoming top goal scorer. He managed to get 38 that year. He must have yeah. felt on top of the world at that point. Obviously, a goal-scoring midfielder, I mean, 27 goals is frightening for, for a midfielder. Yeah, Absolutely, and as I say, I was just delighted to it because it was... The, the role I was playing, the Jock Wallace had given me the role I wanted to play, which was coming from midfield, attacking from midfield. And that's what made it great because I, I actually, you know, I'd always felt that's what I want to be. I can score goals. I felt I could score goals. Derek Johnson was a great player to play with. And our system was very unusual. See, nowadays it's much more modern, much more of a modern system now in terms of how we play. Because yeah. we, we, we were actually a 4-3-3, but we had only one striker. Most teams would never have played that way. We'd one striker and two wide players. Tommy McLean, David Cooper were very creative players. And then the three midfield could all play. Other guys could score goals too. So the goals could come from anywhere. And because I was coming from a deeper position, I was able to go and support Derek Johnson. That's what uh, Jock Wallace had asked me to do. Make my runs from deeper because I could get back into midfield, then go and join him. So we always looked as if we had two strikers. And a lot of fans actually thought, still to this day, some of them think I was playing as a striker. And I wasn't, I was playing yeah. midfield. Yeah. The summer, obviously, you alluded to there, obviously, Jock Wallace had, had resigned and it was announced that John Gregg would take over. How was that received by the squad? And what was it like for you, yourself personally going for you? Obviously, John being your teammate to now your manager. How, how does the yeah. transition work for that? I don't think there was any problem with it in terms of the fact that, you know, John Gregg was highly respected among the players as a manager. Um, so we just thought, well, it's his time to take over. He was giving up playing. It wasn't as if he was going to be player manager. So at that time, there wasn't much. I think I think more of us were were comfortable at the first at that in respect that he at least would know us what we're capable of, what we do, rather than a new man coming in and changing things about. Because that does happen at a lot of clubs. A new manager comes in and he's got different ideas about players, where they play. But Jock was had, had brought us all together and John Gregg had seen that and we were coming off the back of a very successful season. What made it hard for John Gregg, I think, was the fact that that is the case, that we, were, we came off a very successful season. 
So all he could do really was equal what had happened rather than achieve anything greater. Yeah. We, we obviously we, we got off to a bad start in the league that year, winning none of the, the first six games. Could you feel the pressure building, obviously among the fan base as well, the expectation from the, the, the successful season the year before carried into this season? Could you feel that pressure building early goals? No, yeah, no doubt about it. You always do. I think that, you know, it's like Rangers, that's one of the things you have to deal with. That, that, uh, you know, you're, you're in, in a really bad situation if you lose two games in a row. So if you're having a really bad run, you know, it's, it's badly received. And, and you can't, we, we did turn it around to an extent. We, we managed to get things going. Um, and I think one of the problems was, and I, and I felt this from the start, that John Gregg decided to make big Derek Johnson captain, but he also decided to put him at centre-back. Yeah. So I, I think that from that point of view, you know, you, you, you lost a player that scored 38 goals and all of a sudden he's playing uh, as a centre-half now. Now, he was a very, very good centre-half, but wasn't the Derek Johnson that from the season before and therefore we had a, a problem maybe a winning games. He decided sometimes to push him up front and we did go with that way. But we ended up with a very good run in Europe as well. Yeah. We still had a good few of our Barcelona Bears, as I mentioned earlier in the team. And given that success was seven years previous, do you maybe think the club and John in particular perhaps allowed loyalty to those players who brought so much success to the club maybe overrule what was needed? Because... With yourself, Bobby Russell and David Cooper coming in, it seemed to just give the, the team a wee kind of boost. Do you think that maybe it should have changed things maybe a wee bit more in terms of personnel rather than sticking I'm not it? so sure about that, Scott, because I think, I think the guys were still all good, although they were the experienced. I think the big problem John Gregg had was when he decided to, to actually make those changes, yeah. he was bringing in players that maybe just didn't, work, didn't meet the standard that these guys had, how good they were. Do you know what I mean? So you're, you're yeah. looking at guys like Tommy McLean, Alan McDonald, you know, uh, Colin Jackson, Tom Persite, they're all top-class players. And you were losing John Gregg out of the team because he yeah. was now a manager, you know. Yeah. But the, the thing was, it, it was difficult. Greggy was quite hard. Greggy was a very, very good coach. There's no doubt about it. He knew the game well. He actually could make good tactics and all that thing. But Greggy was not uh, the best in terms of man management. He was better. He was better as a coach than he was as a manager. And that, that became a little bit of a problem at times. He was quite hard on people. I even found at times myself that, that Greggy would, would normally, he would tell you what you, what you hadn't done in, in a match, uh, any mistake you made rather than actually give you any praise. So yeah. that was, he was quite tough in that respect. And I think that maybe had an effect. We won the Scottish Cup and League Cup in John Gregg's first season in charge. Obviously, we never managed to get the league title, but did that kind of help, I suppose, to at least the fact we won two cups, we won something that year at least. So do you think that kind of helped the John Gregg's kind of reason a wee bit? I don't, I don't really think so. I'll tell you why, because that season could have been a crucial season for him because although they won two cups, we lost the last league game against Celtic. The 10-man Celtic beat us. We didn't play well in the night. I don't understand to this day how we failed that, that time. We beat Celtic beat us for the league title. And if even a draw would have been good enough for us in that game. But then we also had a great European run that yeah. year. John Gregg was very much involved in that. And what happened was that there was a, a bad winter and a lot of games were postponed. And what happened was we'd actually, um, you know, we'd, we'd fit a lot of games in. See, if you look back at that season, I only found this out a couple of years ago looking back at it. We actually played nine games in May that season. The, the last month of the season, if you check it out, and I think it was 24 days we played nine games. Now, we had to fit all these games in. We beat Celtic, 
and the beginning of May, and then the next game is the one we lost them for the league title. But the European thing, because of the injuries, suspensions, and, and games having to be fitted in, it went against us because we'd knocked out Juventus and PSV Eindhoven. And I think we could have won the... I honestly believe we could have won the European Cup that year because we were a very good team and we'd beaten the, the favourites. Juventus were favourites. And then PSV Eindhoven, we beat them too. So we lost to Cologne. And Cologne were decent, but we... We could have done better if we had our full team and we'd been fresher at that time. That kind of was my next question, to be honest with you, because I think injuries and the fixture congestion, like you touched upon, did get the better of the squad because you can see that in the, in the results in that period, as you're, as you're mentioning. It kind of echoes 2008 for us when we got to the Youth Cup final in Manchester, the whole palava around that with the, with the fixture congestion. And yes. ultimately, it was the same outcome. We won the two cups, we lost yep. the title. Yep. Sadly, we didn't get the, the UEFA Cup. but. Definitely, I think that, that had an effect on that squad. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Cause injuries and suspensions and, as I say, having to fit so many games into a short period of time because of that, with injuries, maybe the, the, you know, the players getting a bit tired and stuff like that, it really blew that season for us. We ended up winning the, the, the Cup as well, the Scottish Cup, obviously. But at the end of the day, I think that uh, it took us three games to beat Hibs as well, yeah. which shows you how, how, how bad the season was. But I think that I, that's, a, that's probably more of a disappointment. The first season was fantastic. Second season, two cups, but I, I'm so disappointed in two aspects that we didn't win the league again, another treble. And I felt, I really did feel we could have won the European Cup. And I felt that that this was our season. Because if you look at the final, it's Nottingham Forest versus Malmo as the uh-huh. final that year. And I think we'd have beaten Forest even. I think we'd have beaten them comfortably in a final. Yeah. You played 57 of the 61 games uh, that year. Again, a tremendous amount of games. You scored 18 goals and you finished the cl- as the club's top goal scorer. Did, did you feel a kind of wee burden on yourself? Because you mentioned, obviously, that Derek Johnson made this, this step back with, under John Gregg to, to centre-half. Did you feel, obviously, you had to step up as the goal scorer for the team? Yeah, I felt as if I had, I had to keep scoring goals. I think that one of the aspects of it that maybe made stop me scoring as many was the fact that Derek Johnson wasn't up front as well because Big Derek used to link up with me very well. If he saw your run, see if you were making a run off of me, he would head the ball in your path and play you in. So yeah. although I got 18 goals and I, was, I ended up being top scorer that season, I think it, was, it wasn't the same as, as it had been the season before. I wasn't as comfortable. And uh, But as I say... I think that that was maybe one of the things that, that stopped us going further was the fact that you need you need other people scoring goals. You know, the midfield player scoring 18 goals is good, but you also need a striker getting 20-odd goals, and that, yeah. that just didn't happen. Yeah. The following season was a kind of barren season for the club. We finished fifth. Uh, the away form, I think, had really kind of hindered us that year. I think we accumulated something like 10 points from our 18 away games. Um, what are your kind of memories of that season? How, obviously... It's a silly question asking how would you sum that up because as a player who'd won five trophies in, in two seasons scoring a barrel load of goals, you couldn't have been happy with the with the, the third season at the club. No, I think I was very poor. It was uh, I, I was I was disappointed. I felt we needed a turnaround, and I think I think you know no no disrespect to the guys John Gregg was bringing in, but he he he'd made a few changes, bringing in players, changed the team about, and as I say, we just weren't we didn't have the form uh, we had in that third season. We, we had some good. Good performances, but not the consistency. And you need that consistency. And I think that that was our problem. It really was a bad season. And uh, it was a, a bit of a nightmare. Having said that, at the end of that season, uh, John Gregg gave me a, a five-year contract. I signed a five-year contract in the, in the May. 
Uh, we lost the cup final to Celtic. That was the one where we, we lost the, with the big riot after the game. Yes. But I had just signed, I just signed that week. I had just signed a, a, five, a new five-year contract to the club. So I was delighted to stay on and I wanted to like basically finish my career at Rangers. Yeah. You left the club after that season. How, how did that come about? Did, did you, well, you said you didn't want to leave. You wanted to finish your career there. So how did that move kind of come about and pan out? Well, it was an amazing story because what happened was, Scott, I, I'd signed a five-year contract and then and the, summer, the summer had come in and the season was finished and John Gregg phoned me and he said, um, can you do me a favour, Gordon? He's, I said, what is it? And he says, could you go down to Brighton and speak to Alan Mullery? He's a pal of mine. He's been trying to sign you all year. He's been, he's been in a few times with bids for you, but I don't want to sell you. But could you go and speak to him just to do me a favour? And I went, okay. So I decided to go down. The next day I went down to Brighton and big Davy Proven came with me. He was a, a coach at the club at the time. So we went down together and then I sat in with Alan Mullery and uh, he says, I've been trying to sign you all season. I said, yeah, I've heard that. He said, um, I first saw you playing. He said, uh, you played against West Ham. You scored two goals against West Ham. He says, and I think you could do well in English football. And then he kept making me bids. The money kept going up, 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 right? Hmm. And I'm not joking. I just kept saying, no, no, <laughs> no. And then we got to the stage and I'm not joking. I was three times... The offer which I was on at Rangers, mm-hmm. basic wage, plus a huge sign on fee. And I said, no. So he said, that, he says, go for lunch. He says, and we'll talk after lunch then. And I went, okay. So I went, we did big Davy Proven, we went for lunch. And uh, Davy Proven said to me at the lunch, he says, that's some money, Gordon. I went, I know. He says, you're not thinking of taking that? I went, you know, I'm not taking that. I'm not leaving. He goes, all right, I might, I might as well tell you the deal's done. We've accepted the bid and all that. And I went, what do you mean? He goes, we've accepted it. I says, no way. So I went on the phone to Ibrooks. Speak to Greggy and I went, I says, the first thing he said to me was, have you signed? I went, you know I'm not signing. He went, are you? I said, I'm not signing. I'm staying at Rangers. He goes, no. He said, if you don't go, I'll make your life hell. You'll never kick a ball in the first team again. You might not even get a game in the reserves. I'll have you in morning and night training. And I went, I can't believe this. And he said, that's it. You're going. Now, I didn't realize at the time, Scott, it was a record fee Rangers got from me, right? Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. I, I, I just thought, you know, why is he doing that? It was, it was the way it was handled that got me. So I went back to Brighton and Alan Mullery and I said, hey, listen, I've had to think about it. And uh, OK, I'll sign. So I signed for Brighton. Now, I never ever told the press or anything about what happened because and it was a lot of Rangers fans were annoyed at me. They said, am I Smith leaving and all this? And, but I didn't, I didn't ever come out and tell it at the time. I only, it was only when I wrote my book uh, yeah. about 12 years ago that I actually told this story. That I said that, that I didn't want to leave, but I was forced to. But having said that, I got on fine with Greggy because I've said to him, you know, Although, I did, although the way you did it was wrong, I have to say that I actually, it changed my life about, I did enjoy my time down in Brighton. Yeah. I enjoyed playing for the club. I enjoyed living down there. I enjoyed playing in English football. So I don't hold any grudge against them. And, and we do talk when we meet. Yeah. You would return to Rangers for a loan spell in December 1982, playing three times. How did how did that go about then? How did they have to grovel to get you back? <laughs> yeah, that was the funniest thing. What happened was I actually, um, I'd fallen out with the manager at Brighton, the, the manager at the time, Mike Bailey's name was. And what happened was, uh, Tommy McLean phoned me and said, we'd like you to come up for a month's loan, Gordon. So I was like, I'm not sure about that. So I went to see the Brighton chief scout. It was called Jimmy Melia. Now, Jimmy Melia was a Liverpool, ex-Liverpool player and all that. And I said to him, look, Rangers want me back in loan. What do you think? And he goes, he says, well, it's December. Which it was, it was the League Cup final in those days was December. Yeah. And he, I said, he said, you can go back for a month. He says, you'll be home for Christmas with all your family. He says, you can play in a cup final. 
And then he's, he hit me with a, a great line. He says, and when you come back in a month's time, I'll be manager here. I went, what do you mean? What do you mean? He says, don't tell MD. He says, I'm going to be manager here. And the time you come back, I will be. I was like, I can't believe it. So actually what happened was, it wasn't the fact of the cup final, because I'll tell you why. I phoned, when I phoned up Tommy McLean, I said, listen, I've decided to come. And he went, right, that's great. A month and I went, yeah. And I says, I'll see you on Monday. And he went, what do you mean Monday? I says, well, you get the final on Saturday. And he says, no, I want you to play in the final. I said, well, you bring me up to play, this was a Thursday. I said, you bring me up to the cup final on Saturday? And he went, yeah. That's why we want you up, he said. I went, like, okay. So I had to get up and play in the cup final on the Saturday when I thought I was going up for a month on the Monday. Fantastic. <laughs> hey, after you finished playing, you became a football agent. How did you enjoy that role? And can you give us an insight into the kind of day-to-day life of a football agent? Because obviously you hear numerous rumours about what a football agent does and what they got up to, etc. Yeah. I, I, I actually was working, I was working for a firm of chartered accountants by this time and uh, we brought in and we started to do an agency. I, I suggested them have an agency business and we brought in Jim Elrose and he was the agent. Then he left to go to Leicester as a, as a chief scout. So they asked me to do the agency for them but then I, I decided to do it on my own. Now, I found it, it was an interesting business. I found there was a lot of people, you know, very crooked in terms of how they deal with that business. And I found out with one or two other agents, you know, but even some of the clubs in terms of how they deal with things. They don't tell the truth all the time. But one of the things that I always said to players was, make your decisions based on football. Don't make your decisions based on money. And that's why I try to get across them all the time. I say, if you make the right decision football-wise, the money will end up coming to you anyway, but don't go to clubs just for the dough. Think about that way. And, and I was quite strong on that with players. And I had a good set of players. I mean, I had a lot of big names. And it was, it was luckily in this respect that because of where I'd been, where I'd played, they were coming to me to be their agent. You know, I had Kenny Miller and yeah. you know, Stephen Presley, Paul Lambert, Craig Burley, you know, Jonathan Johansson. I had loads of top players. And, and I found it good to, to work with them. As I say, one of, one of the best stories was the fact that because of my contacts, one of my ex-teammates was in the PFA at the time. And I phoned him up and said, uh, I says, I've got a player. This club's interested in one of my players. What's the wage levels at that club? He says, well, we got all the contracts here. He says, I'll tell you. So he came back and he says, the highest paid player is £15,000 a week. And I'm yeah. like, okay, that's fine. So then I sat down with the chairman of the club. He says, we're going to make you a player, the highest paid player. He says, we're offering you £12,000 a week. Right? <laughs> and I said, um, that's not the highest paid player. What do you mean? I said, you're paying people 15. How do you know that? I says, it doesn't matter how I know it. I says, I know you're lying to me now. I says, so let's start this negotiation again. So we things like that. And it was, it was amazing. So I, I, did, I did the job till 2007. And the reason I gave it up was just I got approached by the SFA to become yeah. the chief exec. And that's why I gave up that job. Yeah. You've said you became the CEO at the SFA. And you introduced the rule that allowed players being educated for five years under the age of 18, allowing them to play for that home nation. Um, the rule has seen the likes of Raheem Sterling play for England, when normally wouldn't have been allowed. Were you yeah. hoping to see a few young Brazilians relocate to Scotland for five years? <laughs> <laughs> well, the reason, the reason I brought that in was because what happened was the home associations didn't agree with the FIFA rule that if a player, say a player came to Scotland, for example, and he, he, wasn't, he hadn't been capped before, and he's, he plays three years in that country, then he can get Scottish, a British nationality, and play for Scotland. And the home associations didn't agree with that. They didn't think that was fair, that players could change nationality as quickly as that. 
So that was what we brought in that rule. No way they were doing that. But I said, and I went to associations, the four home associations said, look, a young player, a young lad may come here and he's brought up and he goes to school here. He's brought up and he now becomes a citizen here. It's unfair if they've been here that long and they can't become a citizen and then play yeah. for the country. And they agreed, the other home association agreed that that rule would come in. So eventually we got that, that in. And I think it was very strong. The other one I was very strong on was the fact that I was really was fed up with players. Simulation is the word they use for it, but cheating is the better word for it yeah. in terms of uh, matches. And I wanted to bring in retrospective punishment for that. I had to get it through. As I say, every decision I made, I had to get it approved uh, by the board or a, a committee, the SFA. That was one of the frustrating things about the, frustrating things about the job was the fact that you can't make decisions. You have to actually... Uh, recommend things and then put the, it has to go to the board or a committee to make the final decision so there's a lot I had a lot of things I wanted to bring in as well turned down because of the fact that people just voted against it yeah you were once quoted as saying as there was an agenda in Scottish football against Rangers well you were chief exec given what's happened in recent history most Rangers supporters probably do agree with you wholeheartedly how deep-rooted and what to what extent do you think that was the case and do you still hold that opinion from the outside now looking in yeah, I think that what I found out was that a lot of people, the, the people from UEFA uh, were saying to me they were getting loads of like uh, communication uh, about Rangers, about sectarian singing and Rangers fans' behaviour and all that sort of thing. And I said, do you get it for any other clubs in Scotland or anybody else? And they said, no, it's just Rangers we're getting it. So you obviously know which side are complaining most then yeah. when it's down to only Rangers are getting, uh, are getting this. And that's why UEFA... Were, were coming out quite strong at times and looking at what Rangers were doing. They were they were getting you know a list of songs that uh, would be considered to be uh, you know not not correct improper. Yeah. So that that that's what that's where that was coming from. So it definitely was a case that I knew that that people were were had an agenda against them, and 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 because of that they actually were able to turn that around and make have UEFA have and maybe even FIFA an agenda against Rangers because they said they they were the they were the team that were singing the inappropriate songs and all that sort of thing, whereas they, they weren't the only team maybe that, that was doing it. You know? Yeah. See, I, I think in regards to, and I'm a season tickle at Ibrooks, and I think in regards to Rangers support, even since I started going as a, as a young kid to nowadays, it's night and day at Ibrooks for, for what we had before. Of course, there'll always be an element that, that, that still do and sing certain things and, and know that we can't do it eradicate it completely it has to come from society it's not just a football problem yeah. and I don't think the Rangers fans at times actually get enough credit for how well I mean you only need to look at 2012 when, when we went down the 50,000 turning up at Ibrox every week following the team all over the country etc I, I just don't think the Rangers fans actually get enough credit that, that they no, deserve I, I, I agree with that, that aspect I, I agree that they never got enough credit for the fact that also they actually funded Scottish football for a few years yeah. I know that for a fact that the teams, uh, were, it was the best crowds they'd got, even the, the, the towns where these teams were in the lower divisions were making a lot of money from the fans turning up and buying drinks and, and food and all that sort of yeah. thing. So Rangers, Rangers rejuvenated Scottish football to that extent and, and they never got the credit for it because all it was was they were down there at that level playing. But you're right, they were bringing big, big crowds to the games and I think they deserve more credit than they got. Yeah, in June 2011, you were appointed as director of football senior. You turned to Ibrooks uh, under Craig White. Can you remember the first time you met Craig, and what were your first impressions of him? Yeah, well, I didn't know anything about him. I met him in a, in a place in Glasgow. I was in 
and I got introduced to him. And then the next thing was I got told that he wanted to meet me. So he wanted to meet me and he asked me about the structure of football clubs and all that. And, I, and that's when I said to him, I said, well, one of the things you should maybe look at, as I say, is I'm a director of football. I said, this is more or less a position that's, that's in, the, in the continent. It's coming into football more and more now. We don't have any in Scotland yet, but I says it will eventually come through. And he, and he went, okay. Then he came back. I wasn't even looking for the job. When he came back a second time, he says, listen, I'm interested in what you said about director of football, and I would like it to be you. And I said, well, I wasn't thinking about it. He goes, no. I said, well, they don't have a director of football at Rangers at the moment, so it would be a bit difficult. But he said, no, I want you to do it. So I went in. Uh, I, I decided to take the job. And I didn't know anything about him. I hardly met him even when he was when he was there, and and I was more in discussions with a guy Ali Russell, who was yeah. the chief operating officer. I was more in discussion with him. He was a nice guy. He spoke more to Craig White, but Craig White wasn't there that often. He was only coming over maybe for a home game. So you maybe met him on a, a Saturday before the match if it was a home game sort of thing, and in, in the in the blue room. So there was a lot of other people. So I never really got to speak to him very much, but I did do reports for him in terms of restructuring the club. I felt that the point I put across as a, as a director of football was you should be looking at all the different departments within the club and bringing them all together. I'd done that at the SFA. They'd never done that before I went to the SFA when I got every department to come into meetings and then give a report on what they were doing and how this was affecting the organisation because what I found was a lot of the departments were against each other and there was a lot of animosity there because they thought, oh, they're the favourites and all this. Whereas I wanted it to be like, and the point I made across at the SFA and I did it, I was going to do it at Rangers as well, was to say, it's a team game here. And as, as, a, as an organisation, you have to operate as a team as well. So yeah. one of the things I did was was look at all the, I did a study of all, all the, how the, the, the Rangers were operating in terms of scouting, youth development, uh, medical side, all that sort of thing in terms of the, uh, bringing in players, recruitment. And I, was, I, I did reports for Craig White in terms of changes we should make. And he kept saying, we'll get round to it, we'll get round to it. Now, I did feel, and I, I did get the impression that I was I was out of place in the club. And the fact was, they'd never had a director of football. And I think the general attitude of most of the departments was, what's he doing here? We don't need him. And I felt I did feel that. And when what happened was, I'd asked Craig White on two occasions uh, when I met him, is there going to be, a, are we going into administration? Because I was talking about it. He went, no, no. It says, depends on the big tax case, he said. That's what he said on both occasions. Mm-hmm. And then Rangers went into administration. Now, as soon as that happened, Scott, I resigned right away. Yeah. The day it happened, I found out about it and I, I walked out of the club. I didn't ask for a penny. I just thought, I'm not required here anymore because if this club's now in administration, the last thing they need is a director of football in there. I'm out here and I left. As I say, I never speak to Craig White since then. Didn't know him much anyway. And I just, I was happy just to walk away because I was very sad about the whole scenario. And I do regret now to this day that I actually went in and I took yeah. that job. Yeah. How close did, did yourself and Ali as, as a manager work? Did he reveal any fears to you at any time? No, I think the only the only way we, we did it was I actually went where maybe and would recommend players. My opinion on it was that a director of football, and this does happen in the continent because I remember when even I went to play in uh, Austria, I found out later on it wasn't the manager that brought me in. It was the director of football that had brought me yeah. in. So that, 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 I think that that always goes against the style. So my opinion was if, if, if there was any players for Ali McCoyst that I was getting recommended by agents and all that sort of thing, I would go to Ali McCoyst and say, it's your decision. Do you want this player in? And there was one or two players that we brought in and gave trials to 
and all that. So it was always his decision. So I, I never ever took any responsibility. But the thing was, a lot of stories were coming out of the club that were, weren't true as well. Because I remember Derek Johnson, big Derek, who's a friend of mine, said one time in the radio, I heard him saying, oh, Gordon Smith's been bringing in players and uh, the, you know, none of them are any good. The Rangers aren't signing any of them. And I, I was like, I went. I met Derek later on. I said, Derek, I wasn't bringing in any players. I said, I only can put the name to Ali McCoy with his track record, maybe even some footage of the player playing. And then Ali decides whether he comes in on trial or not. Yeah. What was your first response? Obviously, you've touched on it there. You left the club when, when administration hit straight away. Fans actually praising you, I remember at the time, for putting the club first and saying, no, I'm, I'm no needed here, I'm out. Obviously, you must have been disappointed that you weren't able to perform the director of football role as you saw it and, and as you wanted to do it to benefit the club. So what, what was your first kind of thoughts when you heard we were entering administration? How did you think it was going to pan out? I know we couldn't, you obviously can't see it in the future, but how did you think yeah. I see it playing out? I think, I think no one administration I thought might be not too bad in terms of the fact that uh, if they could get out of the administration, yeah. but the big problem came when it was receivership happened. Yeah. That dis- that disappointed me more because then I thought to myself, that's that's terrible because I couldn't understand why that that came about because I, I did feel Rangers could have got out of that scenario. I don't yeah. think that things were handled properly at all when the club went into liquidation, basically. Yeah. And I, I'm a big argument with a lot of people, and I, I argue this with some of my Celtic friends I know and Celtic people. I say it's not a new club, Rangers are not, it's a new business. Yeah. That's totally different. A football club and a business are two separate things. The business runs a football club, but they're separated in that respect. Yeah. So Rangers are still the same club as they always were and have come back from where they were. Businesses have changed over the years, and that, that does happen at all levels. In, in, every, in every country, there's been changes of businesses running clubs. But I was disappointed in that. I did feel that the main aspect of it was that I thought they could get out of the administration thing. Money could be paid off. And Rangers could bounce back therefore. And that was a, that was a, hurt me most. The fact was that they get put down in divisions, and as I say, you know, the, the club were, were were put into liquidation. When I felt that, you know, in terms of the level of debt, it wasn't as nowhere near as big as some other clubs had done before. In terms yeah. of the, the the turnover, the turnover against the debt was with Rangers was nowhere near as severe as some of the clubs who had survived administration. Yeah. Obviously, you touched there about changing the operating company that, that operates the club. Um, I think it was in, in 1872 when the club was formed until 1890 or something like that. Rangers never even had an operating club. So in regards to that argument, would today's years no count then? You know what I mean? It's kind of, again, yeah. we'll not get into that because it's, it's just tip <laughs> tap, but it's just a madness kind of argument. But in your opinion, oh, yeah. would, what did you make of the treatment of Rangers and in particular as well the fans? Because we felt at times as fans we were being demonised and, and, and victimised at times from the SFA and other SPL member clubs when, in my opinion, and we've seen it this year, I think Rangers and, and how they handled themselves or how they are handling themselves throughout this COVID-19 crisis, I think Rangers actually should come out with a lot of credit because Rangers are looking towards the other clubs in, in the organisation who maybe aren't as fortunate as Rangers to have the fan base and, and the facilities that we have. I think Rangers have tried to figure out ways that maybe clubs can fulfil fixtures without any pain, without being penalised by Sky TV deals, etc. Um, and, and possibly even for UEFA, which we might see, because it seems to be us in Belgium are probably two of the only nations that are not going to fulfil and complete their season 
English yeah. are now talking about getting back on the 17th of June. So you don't know how UEFA is going to react to that. And, and I'd like to think the SPFL have looked into that. However, I've got no faith in, in the leadership, so I'm not sure. How do you <laughs> think, what was, what was your opinion of the treatment of Rangers in 2012 when we went down the decision? I think, yeah, I, th- I think it was it was a very very strong decision to to actually uh, put them out into the lower lower leagues. There's no doubt about that into lower divisions. I, I just thought that you know it was. I just think that you know you're looking at a big club. Scottish football required a team at the Rangers at the very top because of the size of the club and and because of what it brought to the the, the, the game in terms of crowds. And, and the finance of the game, everything like that, and the re- record of Rangers European level to ha- have them to start at the bottom division, I thought was, was wrong at the time, and I, I've, I've never changed my opinion on that. I just don't don't think that Rangers should have been put out the, the, the leagues to that degree. You know, they came back, and I, I think that the big disappointing aspect was for me was the fact that I did feel that in those lower divisions, I thought that uh, Rangers could have performed even a bit better in terms of maybe they should have brought through more younger players yeah. from, from the system in those days and, and used that opportunity to develop players and bring them through because that is one of the aspects that, that Rangers were disappointing in for quite a few years there was actually you know bringing through young players and developing them. Yeah, yeah. How would you assess where Rangers are now under Stephen Gerrard given we've now had two years under his leadership and how far away do you think the club are from landing title number 55? I think that what we've got to look at it is the fact that I think there's no doubt about it in terms of ability. Rangers are, are up there with Celtic. I don't think there's any doubt. But the main thing, as I mentioned before, Scott, was the character of the players yeah. and being able to handle the pressure. And that's what that's what's come through in the last few months since the league. We came back after the, the winter break. The winter break maybe wasn't a good thing for Rangers because all of a sudden, you know, the talk was, oh, that they're, they're now challenging for the league. They're going to do it. They came back and Celtic were a, a totally different brand. Neil Lennon changed Celtic's system, the yeah. players, how they were going to play, whereas Rangers came back and didn't seem to do that and then lost games. No way they should have been losing the games they've lost. So I think I think Steven Gerrard has done a very good job. I think he knows the game really well. He handles himself well. And I think that what, he, what he'll need to do now is analyse the character of, of the players he's got, even in terms of for the recruitment going forward, to say, any players now that I know can handle the top league, I know players that can handle having to win every week at Rangers and yeah. rather than players that, that just think, oh, I mean, I've heard some of them even making comments about it saying, oh, it's better when you're the underdog. And that's maybe the case. They were the underdog in the two games in December against Celtic and outperformed Celtic really well. All of a yeah. sudden, when they get to the games in January and they're the favourites, the performances were poor. Yeah. Gordon, thanks very much for your time today and thanks for your efforts in a blue jersey and as director of football at a time that it was hugely difficult for everyone who holds the club dear, like yourself and, and like us as supporters. So thanks very much for that. Well, I'm a Rangers fan like yourself, Scott, and I'm delighted to, to speak to you guys today. Thanks. Rangers, Rangers, easy, OK.
like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.